It's hard to make sense of life apart from community. Join Unaffiliated, the search for God, to hear uncommon conversations for the common good. Unaffiliated is a weekly podcast where religious and non-religious Americans speak compassionately about the beliefs and experiences that shape their values and give them purpose. With your host and soul friend, Catherine Elliott, who writes, coaches, and promotes a collaborative, connective spiritual search at CatherineEcompany.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Unaffiliated, The Search for Meaning. I'm your host, Catherine Elliott, and today we're going to be speaking with Sarah Luria. She's a rabbi, founder, and at her best, planter of ideas and dreams. Right now, you can find her spending most of her time worrying about her kids and our democracy. She's also the spiritual leader of Beloved Brooklyn, a home-based experiment in Jewish life. And she's a co-founder of the Beloved Network. I am so grateful to Sarah for sharing her time with us, so I won't make you wait anymore. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, our pleasure. So I want to acknowledge for all of our listeners that, of course, Sarah is a rabbi, so she is not unaffiliated, <laughs> but um, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. We, I mean, I think that this is really relevant for the show because my impression is that you're very dedicated to opening up Jewish ritual and especially that deep sense of community to anyone who could find meaning in it. Um, yeah. So yeah, and so I want to get into Beloved and all of your projects um, momentarily. But first, Sarah, I was wondering, can you share why you are so passionate about sharing Judaism so openly and indiscriminately? Oh, well, that's a great first question. Um, so Judaism is an ancient tradition that is incredibly complex incredibly long-standing, incredibly deep, um, spans the whole world, um, you know, obviously from Egypt to the Middle East, this is our Jewish journey anyway, and then to all over the world. And the thing about Judaism is that much of our tradition is in Hebrew. And so that means because it's so ancient and because it's so longstanding and because um, it's so geographically widespread and because it's so complex, that means that you need translators, not only from Hebrew to English, but from, um, from the complexity of our tradition to this very moment that we're living in. And so the job of a rabbi has always been to translate the tradition from from its historical context to now. And I feel like that's my job. <laughs> my job is to be a translator. And so that means that I translate for the people who are hungry to learn about it. And that doesn't mean that you are part of any particular denomination or come from any particular family. It means that we have this ancient wisdom uh, that is best understood through um, the oral tradition, the medium of a human being passing down the stories and wisdom to this generation. 
Yeah. And, you know, I feel a similar way about my faith, which is, of course, Christianity. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a Roman Catholic Christian, the word Catholic means universal. And so to me, you know, it's a similar situation where one of the most radical aspects of the Christian faith is that we believe that through the coming of Jesus, community and belonging was extended, no strings attached to anyone in the entire world, but you do, you need translators, you need people to um, explain not just the message of your tradition, but as you said, all the complexities of it. Um, I'm wondering, why do you think that's so difficult, that expression of uh, our spiritualities kind of for the average person today? I think that, I don't actually think it's difficult. Um, I think the challenge is actually for the leadership. I think that we um, need to speak a more open-hearted language. (laughs) Um, I don't actually think the tradition and the wisdom is hard for people to understand uh, as it is now. I think it's more that our leadership doesn't always understand that that's our job. Yeah, that job Um, of translation. Mm -hmm. Yes. I really think that's it. I don't think the people... Um, aren't hungry for it. (laughs) And I don't think the people couldn't understand it. I think it really is about trying to understand in, in Hebrew, the word rabbi means teacher. And I think in a fundamental sense, the question is for clergy, for rabbis, for cantors, cantors are um, learned clergy um, who chant and sing our, our musical tradition in Jewish tradition. Um, I think the question really is for the rabbis and the cantors, how do we best teach this right now? How do we best access, um, how do we best translate this wisdom um, and make sure that it's accessible to the people who don't even know that they're hungry for it? Um, so I, like one way I would think about this as I, I hate bringing in like Steve jobs, you know, he's, you know, (laughs) not, not to, there are enough business podcasts out there. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, but I, but, but I, I, one of my teachers shared this with me. And so I'm sharing it in his name, not only in Steve Jobs's name, but that Steve Jobs said innovation is creating something that no one knew they needed and once they have it they can't live without it so i feel like that's the job of a rabbi is to go like to be able to say to people who otherwise are really not sure what judaism has to offer them and don't necessarily find themselves in synagogue or or participating in jewish experiences or celebrating jewish holidays and saying I know you think you could totally um, go without this, but once you experience our ritual, our tradition, our food, our culture, our learning, um, you'll feel that you can't live without it. And so that really means that it really is the job of the translator to make that happen. I think I looked this up and tell me if this sounds right to you, but I think there's about 7 million Jews in the U.S. compared to 
at least 80 million people who do not affiliate with a religion. So it makes sense to me that you have this huge, in a way, audience if you are to look at your tradition as being something that is of value to the every man, you know? Well, I mean, it's a really complicated thing what you're saying when it comes for Jews. Um, because um, Judaism, I mean, this is very complex, but Judaism is has been understood as a closed system in a lot of ways, except if you convert. Right. And I would say that's true of a lot of religion. You know, that's um, right. That is the case with most religion. And and in a way, that is what fascinates me the most about what you do. Um, and, and it's just a desire that I have as well, you know, partially through this podcast to say um, we have millions of people who call themselves spiritual, but don't right. have that rootedness in a tradition. So anyway, I inter- interrupted you, but <laughs> go ahead. No, I mean, I think, so the, there's the challenge in, for Jews, I would say in America, as opposed to, um, as opposed to Christians, is that we we are a diasporic tradition. That means we um, live outside of our uh, our homeland. One could say, and we are we have existed almost always as a minority, almost always in the history of Jewish experience. We have lived not in a land that we have governed as a minority. And so that shapes our religion in ways that are um, mean that when we want to share our tradition more broadly, we come from a different mindset, I would say, than traditions that have been a majority and have governed. So I think there's this interesting tension um, that that I'm experiencing Jewish people feeling, which is that we want to share our tradition. And yet <laughs> there are a lot of boundaries around who's in and who's out. And I think that's a very like that's that's a kind of where the rubber hits the road with Jews right now um, in one, you know, one aspect. What I feel is that we have such beautiful, especially for me, I live a lot in the ritual space. So we have such beautiful rituals. Greetings, guys. Real quick, as the show today gets going, I just wanted to say how important your active participation is for Unaffiliated to be successful. We want to make the kind of shows that you want to listen to. So please, please write a review on iTunes or leave us ideas and comments on social media. If you support this mission or just like one of our audiograms, share our stuff with a variety of friends so that the dream of increasing connection and improving spiritual inquiry spreads. Thanks. I want to tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. Um, yes, please. Yes. Okay. So, so I was at a conference of people of faith, um, all across denominations and religions. And I 
um, consider myself maybe not an expert, but a but a connoisseur of the Jewish ritual of mikvah. Mikvah is the ancient ritual bath that um, helps people throughout the centuries make transitions from one state to another state. So from one status to another status, you could say when a person converts to Judaism, they go in the mikvah. And so they go from not being Jewish to being Jewish. When a, when a person, um, like it used to be when, a, when a, pri- a priest, a Jewish priest went up to the temple to make a sacrifice, they would go in the mikvah before they went up to the temple so that they would be in a, a trans, they would change states from not clean. I'm putting clean in quotes because it doesn't have to do with soap. It has to do with spiritual cleanliness to clean. And that is what mikvah has offered us throughout the centuries. So um, I was at this conference with these people of faith, all, all denomination, many denominations, many faiths. And I thought, let's offer them mikvah. Let's offer them the opportunity to have an ancient Jewish spiritual ritual. And um, they, uh, we, we divided into different groups. So we had the women's group and the men's group and the trans non-binary group. And um, I took them to the lake <laughs> And I gave them instructions and I turned around and everyone gave themselves space and they jumped into the lake naked, you know, separately naked. And they had this, you know, and then I gave them instructions about, you know, you go under the water and you say a blessing or you, you say what you're praying for. And, and it, and they, they came out, um, and, uh, they wrapped themselves in a towel. And the funny thing about what happened is that, what I've experienced is that when a person goes into this, into the mikvah, no matter if it's in a lake or in an in, inside mikvah, um, they feel different when they come out. You know, I mean, it does the job of transformation in a in a really powerful way, um, even even in this in this setting. So we, I did the men's group first. I think it was yeah. We did the men's group first. And then they got into their towels and they walked up the hill. Um, and then I did the women's group and then the women's group was leaving the lake. And I look over and I see a group of men, <laughs> the same men standing in their towels, talking, sharing with each other about their experience. And I thought, this is what spiritual community can look like. It can look like um None of those people that I that I just told you about were Jewish. None of the people that were standing in that circle of men were Jewish. And I think, okay, well, they were able to access this ancient Jewish ritual for their own transformation and depth and vulnerability and, and ability to connect with people who they didn't know before. That's part of my job. It is true. I think as embodied spirits, as at least my faith teaches, um, there's a 
there's a way in which we need physical experiences in order to process um, intangible realities. Um, so that is beautiful. Um, do you remember or have, have, I don't know if you've done that since then, but how do and how did people respond to participating in that other than kind of that fellowship that was created? Have you gotten any other kind of more specific pieces of feedback? Well, it's funny because there's, um, you know, falls into a couple of different camps. One of the camps is, um, we have baptism, you know, oh, sure. we have an ancient water ritual. <laughs> oh, we do this. I see. And, um, you know, and that actually is beautiful, I think, because I always say we had four materials in the ancient world to make holy. And so we had water, wine, oil, and bread. And if you look at the, you know, at the ancient traditions, you see they took those materials and they used them to make sacred time and space. And so I love the idea that someone who is, you know, uh, Christian in name and knows what a baptism is, um, is like, oh, mikvah, that looks like baptism, which looks like Muslims washing their feet before they go into a mosque. Like, I get it. I, I'm seeing that, you know, and I love that. Because I think it it helps us remember the yeah, our shared humanity. That's one experience. Another experience is that there were some Jews who went into the lake that day, not in that group of men that were standing together at that moment that I shared, but there were Jews that went in the lake that day with my, you know, in, in this ritual with um, my direction. And they never would have ever gone to the mikvah. They never would have had the ability or the interest to access this ancient Jewish ritual uh, because they would think it wasn't for them. These are Jews? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a it's not a ritual that most Jews do. It's kind of relegated to a certain population of Jews for certain times. And, um, and so Jewish people saying, I, I never thought to do this. They didn't know they needed it. And then they think, how could I have ever lived without it? I think Jews that recognize that they can now have access to this ancient ritual want access to this ancient ritual. And in fact, we've been doing hand-washing rituals over Zoom during this year um, because for people who otherwise might never have gone to the mikvah. Um, so I think those are the two camps that I would say are, you know, the way that people have debriefed this ritual. Um, and the other piece is um, that I learned this from my teachers as well, is that when uh, when you come out of the mikvah, um, it's called the wet hair moment. Obviously, that's a modern modern take on, I don't know what the ancients called it, but it's the wet hair moment in the sense that you can see that um, there's a sense that people feel lighter than they felt when they went in. And for sure, whenever I facilitate an immersion at the mikvah, um, I hear that feedback. Yeah. That you feel lighter. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, and it's interesting, the response of Christians who are participating in that. I wonder how many of them realize the 
Jewish roots of Jesus, who is clearly the central figure of Christianity. But um, I remember on a trip uh, that I took to Israel and um, into the Wailing Wall and uh, to the the temple, um, you know, they they had they that is what you see when you go to uh, the place where uh, the central figure of the Christian religion, you know, was was brought for his um, ceremonies, which were Jewish ceremonies, you know? So, I mean, I, I think that that rootedness um, is an important, a really important facet of understanding the, the roots of the Christian tradition. <laughs> so it's, so it enriches. So what you're doing enriches um, Jews, it enriches all non-Jews and certainly Christians. Um, so that's, so thank you for, <laughs> thank you for doing that. Thanks for listening to Unaffiliated, The Search for God. Did you know that each episode of Unaffiliated gets posted on our blog, along with a synopsis and helpful website links? Check out the blog at unaffiliatedshow.com, where you can also find information about coaching and community for a deeper integration of mind, body, spirit, and social relationships. And now, back to the show. I also want to talk, of course, about Beloved and how you got that going. Um, I believe when you started Beloved, um, you were living in Brooklyn where you you grew up. And I'm wondering, um, before we kind of talk about what it is and what it consists of, um, can you kind of share what were some of the social realities in Brooklyn that were on your heart when you started it? What do you mean? Say more about social realities. Well, I think... Um, We've talked a little bit about the complexity of uh, Judaism, and I know that there are many Jews in Brooklyn, um, mm-hmm. but perhaps you wanted to open it up even beyond that. So um, I guess what was the demo- demographic and spiritual uh-huh. picture of of the um, that borough when when you were uh, when you were getting this going? Yeah, great. So. I have three children, and when I was starting Beloved, I was really thinking about starting a community for families, um, and mostly families with young children who just weren't really feeling filled up by the options that were available um, in the Jewish community of Brooklyn. And I say that in a, not to disparage the synagogues and community centers of our, you know, our region, but to say that parents of young children have <laughs> pretty specific spiritual needs, which is um, they have five minutes, you know, right, 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 <laughs> they're right. exhausted, they're exhausted and they have five minutes. So I always tell the story, which is that I would go to the synagogue on Shabbat morning on Saturday morning with my children for like a special children's service. And I would push my children. It was like four avenues up a hill. Not like it was, you know, I walked to 
through the snow, you know, like it's kind of that story, kind of story. Um, it's like I would push my kids up these four avenues, you know, one in a stroller and one in a pouch or whatever it was before my third was born. And one of them would need a nap at a certain point. It was like, you know, I've had to make sure to pack snacks and diapers and everything. And I would get there and there would be um, a really sweet concert for kids. You know, it was like a really sweet uh, Shabbat morning musical experience that was like 20 or 30 minutes for kids. And the parents would stand in the back and we couldn't talk because the musician needed us to be quiet so the kids could hear. And I think, okay, this is great, right? Like, this is a beautiful thing to have the kids singing Jewish songs on Shabbat morning. How beautiful. The challenge for me as a parent was that I was actually the one that was in desperate need of a spiritual spiritual depth and grounding and growth um, because I was the one that was exhausted. My kids, yeah, they, yeah, they love singing the Shabbat morning songs, but I always felt like, what about me? What about me? Um, I'm sweating here, you know, getting my kids to synagogue and I need something. And then, you know, they would play on the, they would play in the, in the classrooms, whatever. And then we would go home for dinner, for lunch. So uh, that was really the demographic population that I was looking to serve. I was thinking, how do we serve parents of young children who really are tired and need some spiritual nourishment? It, be- it began as, as that idea. And, and then it grew from there because the truth is that all different kinds of people who were interested in Judaism or even members of a synagogue or on the board of the synagogue, they still have spiritual needs that were not met at the places where they were going to get their spiritual needs met. And so I really wanted to build a place that was strictly, maybe not strictly, but almost exclusively about spiritual nourishment. And what I found was that it really needed to be about nourishment, physical embodied nourishment writ large. And so what I talk about when I talk about Beloved now is that it was a sensory experience when you came to Beloved. You, you The smells, the taste, the, 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 the music, the, the, the tears, you know, the, I mean, it was, it was, it was about being in our bodies and, and, and allowing this ancient wisdom to course through our bodies, not just be an intellectual experience. And it's not institutional, and that really strikes yeah. me. I think the the institutional aspect of organized religion is just oftentimes a turnoff. Um, even to people who might already have that religious commitment, they might just say, I don't yeah. want to get up and go to synagogue today, you know? Um, and, and so— was this so I guess we should we should just roll back and maybe you can you can tell us what beloved looks like or what it looked like when you started it. Was it in a home? Yeah. So Okay. So exactly to what you just said, um that was another need that I felt in the community, which was that in Brooklyn space is um a hot commodity, right? Like space is the thing you need because it's in in many cities, but I would say in New York City, very much so. And so I felt like 
we don't have enough spaces, just physical spaces that feel nourishing um, is for our spirit. And yes, and and the way that people were getting their needs met was through, and still are, obviously, is through like yoga studios, um, meditation, places yes. like that, the park, picnics with their friends, you know, I mean, like beautiful restaurants, having brunch on a Sunday. Right. The tradition of brunch. <laughs> right. The right. The ancient tradition of brunch. Exactly. <laughs> but so I was like, okay, so we need to bring... Judaism to the people, right? And they're not coming to synagogue. Not, that's not to say they aren't coming to synagogues, right? They, plenty and plenty of Jews in Brooklyn are members of synagogues or men, members of um, what are called minyanim, which are um, smaller, a little bit more decentralized communities that travel from space to space. What I wanted to do is I wanted to create um, a beautiful home space that people could feel like they could let their guard down because in, in, when you walk into a synagogue, you might be like, okay, I don't know where I'm supposed to sit. I don't know how I'm supposed to hold this book. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't know what those things are up there. I, 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 you know, I, are they going to know where I don't know how to stand? I don't know when to sit all these things. Right. Um, and my feeling was people know how to be in a home. People know what to do when you walk into a home. They know you take your shoes off, you take your coat off, you go into sit on the couch. It's like not, you know, rocket science. And I felt like if we are trying to create spaces that can really fill people up in all the ways people need to be filled up because of this really challenging culture we live in that really does do a lot to knock us down, then we can start with a space that feels um, familiar and homey. And so that really, um, I, I have found that the space goes a long way. And in fact, um, I always used to say that, um, you know, the, that the house is, is a, is a character in the drama of beloved, you know, she lit, she breathes with us. She feels us. She feels our prayers. She feel, I just felt very much like she was personified, um, as part of the drama, uh, because she was a container for our prayers and our hopes and our needs and our meals and our singing and all of the things that we did there. Um, so just to kind of give a brief uh, description, uh, we we served a lot of, I would say, um, smaller communities within the larger community of Beloved. And so we had group of um, people you know, new people all the time coming for our Friday night Shabbat prayer service that we had once a month. Just because we've mentioned it a couple of times, can you define Shabbat for us? Oh, can I define Shabbat? Um, Shabbat is um, understood as a sanctuary in time. Um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, a famous rabbi of the 20th century, called Shabbat a sanctuary in time. It is 25 hours where you are invited, just as God did on the seventh day, you are invited to take a break from the work that you do in the other six days and rest. And so um, Shabbat is the time um, where Jewish community often gets together for um, 
prayer and learning and meals and all kinds of things. Um, starting on, and in, in the Jewish calendar, we start the day in the evening. Um, so we, it starts the evening of Friday night and it goes through, um, when there are three stars in the sky on Saturday night, and that's the 25 hours of Shabbat. Um, and so, um, there's prayer on Friday night, there's prayer on Saturday morning, there's prayer on Saturday afternoon, there's prayer on Saturday evening, there's meals interspersed. And um, that's what the, the day of rest looks like. So I know you're gonna, um, you're gonna tell us about Beloved, but before moving on from this, I never realized that um, the end of Shabbat was tied to how many stars are peeking out of the sky, which um, lends itself to me to just the idea that you would actually have to be looking at the sky. How often do we even do that in order to realize, okay, this time of rest has come to an end and what a beautiful image that is. I love it. Yes. Um, same with the, um, on Friday night, like the, there is a, a specific time when Shabbat comes in that is tied to the time of sunset. So in the winter, Shabbat comes in at like four, you know, and the worst days of the coldest and shortest days of winter, um, Shabbat comes in, you know, 412, 405. And in the summer, sometimes Shabbat comes in at 730. Um, so it really does depend on the sky and the cycle. And it's not looking at a piece of machinery, right? It's not looking at a clock. You are, right. um, although, you know, with our modern technology, you could do that. But the idea that as a as a part of this faith, like we need to be looking up, we need to be um, present to the nature that is around us, which is inviting us to this rest. Um, I, I'm actually a, a, a fan of uh, Rabbi Heschel and I love his um, writings on the Sabbath. So um, yeah, but anyway, okay. So you're talking about beloved. I mean, I could do a whole other hour on Judaism and nature. I, I mean, know, like everything is tied to nature. Every there's, yes. you know, there is no, yeah. But anyway, so um, yes. Um, yes. And um, so um, so beloved, yeah, we were, we, we are really, a um, different small communities that get together at different times. So for example, we have a meditation group that meets on Sunday night. That's been meeting for the last three years, um, every Sunday night, including now on zoom. Um, and we have a group of, and some of those people otherwise don't do anything else Jewish, right? Wow. Like, so yeah, totally, totally. Um, some of some, so we have a group of people um, who families who would get together on Saturday afternoon and then do the ritual. You know, we'd have we'd have story, and the, the grownups would have some nourishing time, and the kids would have some nourishing time, and music, and and food, and and then we would do the ritual of the closing of Shabbat together called Havdalah. We have a group of people who come on Friday night for Shabbat dinner, like I was saying, and Shabbat prayer. And that always included, um, you know, the way I think about it, and this is really what I wanted to share with you and the people who are listening, is um, I always feel that no one is really unaffiliated, right? Like you're, you're affiliated with something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't exist as a, as a, as a separate entity. Nothing is separate, you know, and, and nothing is completely separate. So 
the way I always felt that people would come on Friday night is that, you know, let's say someone comes, someone hears about us and, and they, they are connected to a lot of different Jewish things in Brooklyn and they come on a Friday night and they say, oh my gosh, this is so nice and it's so um, not intimidating. I'm going to tell my Jewish neighbor who I keep thinking they would like to come to something. I'm going to tell them about this. My Jewish neighbor who does nothing else Jewish just happens to have one or two Jewish parents. I'm going to tell them. So then they come, right, the next month. And that's, and those people, I guess, technically are unaffiliated, right? They're not affiliated with a religious tradition per se, but they come kind of as um, one step removed. They're not the people that are storming down the door to want to come for Shabbat, but they come because their friend tells them about it and they trust their friend. And then they come and they say, oh, this, this is nice. Actually, I have a couple of friends who might like this. Maybe we can do this next month all together and we won't feel like awkward because we'll be together. And then they bring their friends and then their friends bring their friends. And, and so that is how I feel. That's how Beloved really grew um, to be a flourishing Friday night community was that, it, you know, we, we broke down the barriers that are intimidating in a lot of Jewish settings. Um, and, and then people who otherwise didn't come to Jewish things would come and bring other people who were otherwise not going to Jewish things. And that was kind of how the cycle was. It strikes me that the community was built, you know, one person at a time yeah. and that your personal relationship with someone is the link. It's not um, it's not an obligation or um, or anything like that. So, well, I would say, yes, like it is person by person. It is slow. Right. It is. It is slow. And it just requires coming back again and again to loving the people who walk through your doors, you know, that's, that's the work. Um, but the goal is not for it to be me at the center and other people out in the, like, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I never know exactly how to say this. I don't know if it's a spoken hub model or not, but like <laughs> the goal is to, um, is for people to come back for each other. Um, right. It's for, it's for you to be like, Oh, these are my Friday night people. Right. So, you, you know, you don't know anyone at first or you, maybe, you know, one other person at first. And then you sit and we 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 had we made a decision a couple of years into Beloved that we needed. We, we basically in the beginning, we had people eating dinner kind of on the couch or on a chair or on their lap. And and then there was one big table that if you got a chair at awesome for you, but there weren't enough. You know, eventually what we decided was that we needed everyone as much as possible to be sitting at a table because they became a crew that night, right? Like your table became your crew. And it was, it wasn't like high school where people were just like clicky and mean to one another, right? It was like people welcomed you to their table. And then you felt the next time, oh, I, I had dinner with that person last time. Um, and so the tables became like a really, I mean, again, remember, this is all in our like living room and dining room. It's not like this big space, you know, but, um, but it, we, we shoved the tables in because we felt like that was the way that instead of it being about me, right? Like people connecting to me, yes, that's important, but really we wanted them to connect to each other and that's, what's going to keep them coming back. Yes. Yes. And I just have a couple quick questions. We're going to have to wrap up soon, but, um, 
on your website, uh, which for our listeners, by the way, is beloved.bk.org. Um, and that'll also be listed in the show notes. But on that website, you say that you're building an open-hearted spiritual community for the 21st century. And I mean, I think each one of those words is packed and, and we've talked about them um, throughout this episode. But but when we you talk about a community for the 21st century, what is it about being in a home or being around a table or um, or even just erasing the boundaries between, you know, who's Jewish and, and who's allowed? Um, wh- what is it about that that is powerful for the for this time, for the time that we are living in? It, it, it's really, um, it's a great question. And because I could, you know, again, I could do a whole other hour on that because what I always think about is that nothing we're doing is new. Nothing we're doing is new. No, it is not revolutionary um, to do a, a, you know, ancient water ritual, like I was saying earlier, right? That's not yep. innovative. And it's not innovative to have people eating dinner around a table. No, right, and it's right. not innovative to celebrate Shabbat on Friday night. Jews have been doing it for thousands of years. And it's not innovative to welcome people into your home, you know, before COVID, it was a normal thing that people did, right? Yeah. The, the, the thing is that Judaism went in a certain direction in America in the 20th century for a lot of really important reasons. And I don't want to give a history lesson right now, but what I will say is that um, World War II and the Holocaust had a profound impact on um, the way Jewish communities uh, needed, desired to be in the 20th century in America. And that one of the ways that manifested was that we wanted to have strong institutions because we wanted to feel <laughs> um, powerful, which we can certainly understand. And so that meant that synagogues became community centers, and they grew to be, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people would belong to one synagogue, right? And they would have, we would have community centers that um, had a pool and had a huge auditorium. And, 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 and we had federations um, that would fund these communities in a very specific way that were powerful institutions. We needed large, powerful institutions um, for all kinds of reasons. One of them was because of a feeling of powerlessness. So I really don't begrudge my grandparents for moving to the Long Island suburbs and joining a big conservative synagogue. And um, that was that was of their time. Um, And I think the 21st century comes with a whole other set of challenges. One of them, I would say, one of the main ones is loneliness. And so we are working um, with a different uh, vision of what religion and spirituality needs to be now, right? It needs to be less institutionalized. It needs to be more personal. It needs to be more homey. Um, it needs to attract people who 
um, don't like institutions, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, it needs to do something totally different. And um, not totally different. Like I said, again, it's around the table. It's Shabbat. It's eating bread together. It's, you know, it's all the things that we always used to do, but it has to come in a different trapping because of the challenge of our time. And so, um, and so I think that's what we're trying to respond to at Beloved. Well, it's a, it's an important work and, uh, and it's an exciting work. So, um, yeah, well, our time is sadly coming to an end, Sarah, but, um, for all of our listeners, you can sign up for email reflections from Sarah and, uh, learn more about the beloved community at beloved.bk.org. And, uh, I just want to thank you, Sarah, again, for this time together. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Unaffiliated, The Search for God. Don't forget to show us some love. Like and subscribe to our show on iTunes. We release a new episode every week to show how the search for spiritual meaning can take place together in dialogue. For more great insights and soul hacks, check out unaffiliatedshow.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Unaffiliated Podcast and join our online community. Just tap the groups tab on The Unaffiliated Podcast Facebook page. Catch you next time.